So really, at the end of the day, you know, shoe size doesn't matter. If your tennis racket fits your hand, you're going to be good at golf. That's what my dad always told me. And your dad's <laughs> such a source of wisdom. I know. It's something about being a redhead. It just drives pure, non-complicated, non-abstract wisdom just into you. It's incredible how he took all those things and just connected them in such an eloquent way. I never would have thought about yeah, that. Yeah, it was a real Thomas Jefferson thing to do. I don't know. I was real <laughs> proud of him. Everything sounded like an innuendo, but then you ended up with a tennis racket, and I got totally confused. I'll never look at toast the same way again. That's the way George Washington Carver invented peanut butter, you know what I'm saying? Speaking of George Washington, what's the topic for today? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Something about about training. Yeah, by the way, uh, having a conversation about uh, weight loss and nutrition, totally fascinating conversation, all the stuff that came out. And we've decided to add this uh, episode on the backside of that, talking about training and weight loss and all, all these things that tend to get very complicated for our athletes. And today we're going to launch into this idea of uh, addressing training affecting uh, weight loss, how those two things go together. It's just a general topic that most people are very confused about that we see that are inside of our box in particular, but we're suggesting this is probably a worldwide phenomenon that people have uh, the A to B on this is probably not correct. So we're going to launch out by talking about the myths surrounding training and weight loss and how people have this incorrect and uh Chris, Coach Chris, welcome to the podcast, Coach Chris. Hey. I just feel like I wanted to say something kind to you before we listen to you talk about these myths. So you've Thanks, got some, man. That's sweet. Yeah. Uh, don't ever call me sweet again. Uh, so you've got some stuff that you say. <laughs> I just put that there. So, Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, touchy. Wow. Yeah, touchy. <laughs> We're gonna, we just started talking about our personalities and everything <laughs> flared up. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Uh, but there's very particular ideas that you, you guys see over and over again inside of CrossFit. You're like, that. That is not correct. Training doesn't do this. Training will do that. So let's talk about these myths, maybe just the the ones that are on the top of your mind when it comes to training and losing weight. Yeah, I want to go ahead and just kind of put this out here at the beginning of the podcast so that hopefully we won't waste anybody's time. If if we get like we'll get done with this podcast and like a question might uh, might pop in your head like, uh, yeah, but I want to know how I got to go to the beach in like a month. What do I need to do? (laughs) You need to go back and listen to the first episode, and you need maybe start thinking about the end of the summer. Maybe yeah. wear a shirt. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep that shirt on. You know, SPF, block the fat. Right. That's what it's called. <laughs> so, so the fir- uh, the first thing that uh, that that always uh, that always gets me when people uh, when people uh, they want to know how to adjust their training to. Um, to burn more fat, usually the first thing that I hear all the time is like, "So I need to do more cardio." I think that's the first uh, the first thing that we should definitely address. Is that it comes up all the time. Now, I'll say this. First off, will cardio help you burn fat? Indeed, it will. Will lifting weights help you burn fat? Yes, it will. Will doing intervals help you burn fat? Yes. Training will help you lose fat. If it is, if you are, if your output is more than your input. Go back and listen to the last episode for more information on that. So when uh, you say cardio, I just want to stop right here. And t- I mean, we're really taking this head on, right? So 
it's kind of the same reaction as we were talking about in our nutrition episode, the way that people talk about carbs. I mean, Mm -hmm. it just immediately pushes people to one side of the conversation or the other. But when when you're talking about cardio, what we're actually talking about is people um, getting on that treadmill and saying, I'm going to be on here for six episodes of Seinfeld. And that way I can go drink my seven diet coke. I'm going to yog my way to skinny. <laughs> is that is that it sounds like a tank top maybe that you've seen somewhere? Uh, but when you say cardio, it's just like this slug fest of boring stuff, oh, and yeah. you know, which pulls in a lot of other things into this conversation. But training, cardio training, it's like something that people say, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm all into my cardio." When I'm going to ignore cardio because I just want to get stronger. Everything gets really tangled up, but the play, that's the place that people start is cardio. Yeah, and so I think the, the best thing that we can do right now is to first, let's just establish when people say they want to get beach ready, what does that mean? And then let's kind of reverse engineer that a little bit. When people say they want to be, uh, they want to be beach ready, you know, obviously they want to, uh, uh, they want to uh, probably decrease the amount of body fat that is on their body. And they want to look leaner. They want their they want people to look at them and be able to see their muscles where somebody sees them and says, This person obviously takes very good care of themselves. So um let's uh let's start with uh let's start with there. Um so if you're going to if you want to look like that, you want to uh, you want to make a change, you know, if 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 all that's on your mind is just strictly aerobic training. It can lead to uh, it can lead to a lot of uh, a lot of pitfalls. One being that if all you're doing if you're spending all your energy on aerobic training and you're not doing anything to develop the muscles, if you're not doing uh, you're not doing strength training, you're not really getting to the other side of the spectrum with uh, intensity. You're not going to maintain your uh, your muscle mass, and you end up what's that phrase they like to use? Skinny fat. Yeah. Whatever yeah, it is. Skinny yeah. Fat, yeah. Yeah. You have anything to add to that, Hunter? No. Yeah, I agree. You know. It, I think when people think of somebody who looks good on the beach, they're not necessarily skinny. They are muscular. You can see their muscles. And so you're not going to get that way by just doing cardio. You know, you got to spend the time doing strength training, uh, lifting weights, all that type of stuff. Um, so if you say, oh, the, the beach is right around the corner, I'm just going to start doing cardio uh, for two hours a day, uh, that's not going to really help you um, get that that in shape look that most people are looking for when they're when they're saying they want to get beach body ready. I also think we see a lot of this and I'm bringing this up on a CrossFit podcast because uh, CrossFit has such a bad rap for injuries, but when we, when we see people go from zero to this deep dive into cardio where they just have one movement that's being repeated for a long period of time over an extended period of time trying to get ready inside of uh, 60 days to go to the beach then they're they're putting a lot of wear and tear on just particular joints or particular muscle groups which usually forces them to stop their fitness journey so this varied part of what we're we're prescribing inside of the crossfit world actually is is probably going to help you not only get ready for the beach but after the beach is over the beach is probably coming again next year so just going into training for cardio to lose weight are there i just have to ask this question are there a certain instances 
where it's good for someone to start with that cardio base. Let's say that they've done nothing and they're going to walk to the stop sign and back. Would you guys say, no, 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 don't do that. You need to come into a CrossFit gym and do that first. Or is it okay for some of our listeners who are trying to get develop a healthy lifestyle to start with a little bit of cardio? Yes and no. I I am all for people getting up and doing something but I will but I will say this for longevity you need to have that balanced approach I mean that's just I'll I'll give you I'll give you an example let's say somebody who has never done anything before and they decide they want to they just want to take up jogging they're going to say I'm going to jog around my neighborhood a few times I've never done any kind of weight training or anything before or so let's say let's say they do that. They get up, they spend a month, uh, three uh, three times a week. They're running around their neighborhood. Then they bump it up to four times, then five times. Well, they might not know that they have uh, uh, one uh, one leg might be weaker than the other. They're steadily favoring one side when they run. Their mechanics are their mechanics are terrible. They don't have a strong enough a strong enough lower back and glutes to keep them upright when they run. So they're constantly heel striking and putting um, putting pressure on their ankles and knees and this and that. So will it help them lose weight um, short term? Yeah, absolutely. They're increasing their activity level. They're um, uh, they're breathing a lot more and. Um, and that's helping and that's helping them lose weight but now you're all now all of a sudden you're having to battle things like uh you know sore ankles knees low back and that will take away from the amount you know the long run you know if you can't go out there and train the five days a week that you were when now you're having to battle up uh, patella tendonitis every day too and a lot of that could could have been avoided on the front end by having a coach who knows uh, who knows what to look for and say, okay, you have a extremely weak lower back or extremely weak uh, glutes and hamstrings, we're going to get you moving around, but let's fix these things before we just start getting out there and pounding the pavement. I, I think something is better than nothing for sure. If you got somebody who hadn't done anything for 30 years and they start walking around the block once a day, yeah, that's going to be great. But like Chris said, eventually, like you need to start adding some variance into it. You need to start doing some strength training, you know, f- you know, evening out your, your body, figuring out your weaknesses, um, you know, building some strength, stuff like that. Um, when it comes to losing weight, though, uh, somebody told me this one time and it really stuck with me. He said, exercising to lose weight is the hardest way to lose weight. If you're only mm. changing your exercise uh, patterns, but you're not changing your diet, it's going to be a lot harder to lose weight than if you would change your diet and not change your exercise patterns. Does that make sense? So if if you just want to say, day one, I just got to start losing weight, instead of saying, I'm going to start walking around the block, say, I'm going to start eating better. That's going to help you out a lot more than walking around the block. Then you're going to have more energy. Then you might be able to start adding in some extra walking around the block, all that type of stuff. But I think a lot of times people will start exercising and they start losing weight, but really what they're doing is, yeah, they're exercising, but they're actually, because they're exercising, they don't want to waste it. So they're eating a lot better. So now they're losing weight because they're eating a lot better. And the exercise is just the, the catalyst for that. 
it really is almost impossible to separate these two things. I mean, we've separated them out into two different episodes so we can dive into the topic just a little deeper. But I think there is definitely going to be a lot of overlap in this. Uh, as, as we're training inside of our boxes and we do start losing weight, I think one of the things that I hear initially, and you guys will definitely recognize this, I've, I'm cleaning up how I'm eating because I don't want to throw up at the 3.30 class. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, the motivation is just that basic. But that's a huge life shift if you're spending every lunch going out on the cafeteria plan and having a huge uh, meal that's fried and full of calories. And then you go in and you're training and you have that sickening feeling like you've got to stop because you're so nauseous. You don't want that to happen again. So you've got that negative consequence that's actually leading you into a positive direction. Uh, But it's not just diving into cardio that's a huge myth if i just dive into cardio and and this is another thing we need to mention eventually your body is going to adjust to that one movement that one exercise that one output and you're going to plateau pretty quickly this happens to a lot of athletes we see right that's why we have varied movements and then if you're just doing cardio you're not at building muscle which is going to change your body's metabolism you're just burning fat and so if if you're building muscle over the long term, that's going to change your body's metabolism. We've talked about that before. It, your body burns more calories per day off a pound of muscle than a pound of fat, all that type of stuff. So it might be a short term, you know, quick weight loss thing, but it's not going to be something that's sustainable. And it's definitely not going to affect your body's metabolism and how it runs in the long term. Yeah, they say that uh, what's the phrase a watched pot never boils. Uh, so I think a part <laughs> of this is if you're just in there in, in cardio, you're taking that uh, just So many people have bought this myth. The only thing that you're focusing on is how much weight you're losing. You don't have other things in your training to distract you, to give you new goals. Then you're just setting yourself up for failure, buying into this myth. Absolutely. If there were, if there were just one way to do things, then, uh, uh, colleges, professional sports teams, they wouldn't be paying strength coaches hundreds of thousands of dollars to do what they do. There is a very there's a very delicate process to it, and um, it requires a lot of reverse engineering and things uh, things like that. Like we were, like I was saying earlier, okay, I want to I want to look lean when I go to the beach. Like, okay, well, do you have the skeletal muscle mass to even appear lean? Okay, and so then we got to say, well, okay, so let um. How do we uh, how do we get you to that point? Well, we've got uh, we've got to get you under the bar more. We've got to get you doing more repetitions so that you understand how these movements are supposed to work. So that you understand when I do a squat and I sit in this uh, in this particular posture, I'm going to be using these muscles more or less or whatever. You have to learn the movement. You have to be stronger in the movement so that you can support more repetitions in the movement and um, and then, uh, and then at that point, we've built up. Uh, once you have built up enough muscle to even appear lean, then we can start looking into taking away, you know, chipping away at that caloric intake to make those muscles appear better. So let's talk about for just a second. I, we don't talk about this often enough, so I just want to lead you guys into this space. As people are um, beginning to train, one thing that they've got to commit to do is to pay money for that. And one of the questions that people are often asking themselves as they're looking at that money leave their account, what am I actually paying for? 
especially if they get frustrated and they're they're training for weight loss and they're I've only I'm only losing a pound a week. I say that in quotes. I'm only <laughs> losing a pound a week. This isn't going as fast as I thought. What am I actually paying for? A lot of what athletes or people who are walking into a CrossFit gym are paying for is the knowledge that the trainers have that can guide the process. Yeah. I would a lot I would a lot rather work smarter than harder. If you look at the investment in that way, we are actually as as just common athletes going to a CrossFit box, we are paying to access years of knowledge. And if anybody hasn't had this experience, man, I, I'm hopeful they'll have it soon where a trainer will walk up and you're having a frustrating day on the bar or a frustrating day with some some particular movement and a trainer says, why don't you try this? And it's a very simple adjustment based on your guys, based on your knowledge of how the body works, how the body moves, and it just unlocks an entire world of training. You know, this thing that you've been avoiding for so long, and we see this a lot, don't we? This thing you're avoiding for so long becomes your favorite movement because you experienced a lot of success there. Yep. And I think this is a big thing, creating a, a mentality, an attitude of success, of being able to defeat things. You're not going to find that if you've uh, got your uh, ear pods in and you're on a treadmill watching the TV. That's just not how it works. This is what a good trainer is going to do for you, and that's what you're paying for is a good trainer. First, they're going to be able to teach you how to move correctly through all the movements. And... That so that's going to help you progress better. It's going to help you stay healthy, um, use the right muscles when you lift, all that type of stuff. They're going to teach you. They're going to watch you and be able to tell what part of your body is strong, what part of your body is weak, what areas you need to work on, what what your strengths and weaknesses are, so that you can they can tailor things to you, so that you're gonna, they're going to be able to help you progress faster, help you get injured. They're going to be able to look at you if you something's bothering you, if your elbows hurt, and say, hey it's because you're moving this way or, Hey, it's because you're tight here. or Hey, you're over overcompensating to one side and they're going to be able to give you corrective exercises for that. They're going to be able to look at your diet and help you figure out, Hey, you're not eating what you need to eat. This is what adjustments you need to make. They're going to be, look at your lifestyle. What's what your sleep look like, what your stress level look like. I mean, they're just going to be able to look at a whole comprehensive view of you and your life and tell you what you're doing wrong, what you need to work on, where you're doing things right and constantly be able able to do that. And it's like Chris, we've talked about before, it's constantly changing. It's not an exact science. Like what works for you now might not work for you in six months. You might've done a program in the past that really worked for you where your body adapted to it and it's not going to work again. So then they're going to have to be able to say, all right, we need to change this. We need to do this. Okay. Hey, you have different goals now. Hey, you just had a kid. You're not getting as much sleep. Let's drop the intensity down. Let's focus more on our recovery and our, in our diet, all that type of stuff, because that's what trainers do. They know how to work with people and, and prescribe stuff like that. And if, if you just say, Oh, I'm not, I don't want to pay, um, to go to this gym with this trainers. I'm just going to go to the 24 hour fitness place. Well, here, here's the key. You walk in, here's the weights. Have fun. What, what am I supposed to do? You know, you're <laughs> yeah. going to, I guarantee this, is what you're going to do. You're going to go in there and you're going to do a couple exercises and you're going to do them wrong. And you're going to do the wrong exercises that aren't going to help you, you burn weight, you know, lose weight the way you should, or be healthier. And then you're probably going to get burnt out and you're going to get hurt. And that's another thing too. They're going to motivate you. They're going to be your friend. They're going to hold you accountable, all that type of stuff. That's all the stuff you're paying for. And when you really add up the benefits of that, man, it's a bargain. Yeah, it really is. It is. Your health is an investment. And, you know, if you're just like anything else, if you're going to put money into uh, into stocks, you know, if you're only going to, uh, you know, you're going to go join, uh, 
you know, some uh, 24 hour fitness, you're going to drop $15 a month. And that's all you're investing in. That's probably about all you're going to yield. You know, so there's a direct correlation there. Absolutely. And one thing that we've talked about off mic pretty frequently, if you were to just add these things up, then you're going to come out uh, in the positive. You, as you start your fitness journey, and you're probably going to drink less beer. <laughs> we talk a lot about alcohol and calories. You're, gonna, you're, you're just going to start drinking less because you don't want to burn those calories that way. You don't want to take in those calories that way. I can't tell you guys how many times you have saved me a copay with a lacrosse ball. You know, yeah. and I almost hate you for it because you yeah. hand me this lacrosse ball and you're like, here, you just need to work on this for about 15 <laughs> minutes and quit going over to the doctor and getting the, the, uh, these sedatives or these muscle relaxers that don't fix anything anyway. So you saved me money, money there. Then I'm going to start eating clean. I'm going to be, uh, way more intentional about what's going into my body and spending less on food that's inflated at, at restaurants. So you're almost almost instantly going to make up whatever it's costing you to pursue fitness, uh, especially in the CrossFit world. You can make that up pretty quickly just with those few things. It's just, are you assigning value to that? You know, getting back to that why. What what are you actually in here to do? People walk in and they say, well, I want to lose some weight. Um, but nine times out of ten, Chris, you would say this is your experience, I bet. Nine, nine times out of ten, that doesn't become the main focus as the training progresses. Right. If, if people would see their... Uh see their health as an investment and commit to uh, commit to the long game in terms of training like I was talking about you you have to reverse engineer and you've got to have a long a long-term goal and a long-term plan for all this then you can get to the point where you don't have to go through this uh, this cycle like we're even talking about well I'm going to the beach in a couple of months better start getting a uh, uh, getting my uh, my beach body ready again. Like, well, you should be pretty darn near close to that most of the year anyway, and um, that's but that's the that's the thing. If you're if all, if all you wanted was a ninety day fix, yeah, you can go drop however much it costs to, the one time cost it is for P ninety X. You can go do that. Go have fun. Call me in ninety days when you're done. And uh, or if you want it, if you wanted to try to do it yourself, you can go to that twenty four hour fitness. But um, with the uh, in terms in terms of training though, that's why you need to invest and you need to uh, you need to have a coach. But um. I want to kind of steer us back a little bit to the uh, to the myths and all of that. And um, hey, one second, yeah. I wanted to touch on something you said about um, investing in your health. Yeah, and I, I like to think of it this way: you know, what what is our most valuable resource? Yeah, time, you, mm-hmm. yeah. Time, time. Right? There you go. What's the only way that you're going to get more time? Living longer. Yeah. How are you going to live longer? <laughs> health. Health and fitness. That's right. Yeah. It's so almost you, as good as your grandpa's story. <laughs> Thank you. If you're not investing in your health and fitness, then you're shortening your lifespan. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, it really is. You, you can argue it all day long and say, well, I had so-and-so friend who smoked a pack a day and he lived till he was 90. Yeah, well, he is in the vast minority. The majority of people who do not take care of themselves are not going to live to the average lifespan. If you take care of yourself, you're going to get more years on this earth. And so health and fitness is the only way to do that. And so, you know, if, if that is the only way you can invest in your most valuable resource, then any money that you spend on it is going to be the best investment that you make. Sorry, I I got off track on that. No, you're good. That's good. That's good. All right. So what I, what I kind of want to open up for discussion is really the, the effectiveness of CrossFit and how we, with, with, uh, with variants, 
how we balance the way that we uh, the way that we uh, expend energy by either lifting really heavy things, doing these short sprint, really really high intense workouts, and then going in or doing a uh, a long a long steady pace um, uh, workout. How uh, how is it, Hunter, that uh, we can flow from these things and still uh, and still lose weight? Why like why is sprints or intervals just as effective as long aerobic conditioning let's talk about that why is it as effective yeah like well why like why is it maybe uh, just effective if arguably not more so yeah because you know you first off variance is the most important thing because your body is always adapting and so as soon as you do something over and over again your body's going to pick it up really quick because that's what our body is made to do is to survive and so it adapts to whatever stimulus you're throwing at it so you have to constantly be changing the stimulus that you're doing if you're just doing the same routine day in and day out same movements your body's going to adapt to it and it's going to quit working um so you know you need to be doing short sprint type things you need to be doing long endurance type things you need to be lifting heavy you need to be lifting light you need to be constantly varying it all up so your body is all always on, uh, you know, high alert. Hey, I need, I need to adjust this. Hey, I need to fix that. Hey, I need to do this so so that we're not hitting a plateau. Um, so, you know, for me, variance is, is the very, you know, most important thing. Now that doesn't say, that doesn't mean to say that when we're programming, we're not doing progressions. Like we are doing progressions in certain things and we'll work on certain things for a certain amount of time. And then we'll say, Hey, you need, this person needs to work on this because they're weak in this area and we'll work on getting better at that. But at the same time, we're doing it in different ways. Maybe if we're doing squats, we might do five reps one day, one week, we might do eight reps. Another week, we might do one rep the next week. We might do a hundred reps of body weight, you know, just constantly changing the type yeah. of stuff we're doing. Yeah. It, um, it all, it all flows like these uh, people think about those, uh, those energy systems that they, uh, that they operate independently and that's not uh, that's not the case. You're always in a li- uh, um, maybe a majority of one, but there's still some of the uh, of the others. So like I, I mean, I can I'll give you an example of how they can uh, how they can work together. Yeah, I go back to my example about the uh, the lady or whoever it is going on runs, and if she um, if she would have spent some time strength training, she could she could uh, she could increase her muscular endurance and run longer. If she gets stronger, she can uh, do whenever she decides to do a sprint workout, she will go harder on that workout. That will lead to um, burning more more calories over time because the lower your intensity is, like if you're going to do an hour long run at a very low intensity, whenever you stop, uh, whenever you stop doing that run and you quit breathing heavy, you're done going into you're done uh utilizing that metabolic stress but if you do a really really hard sprint okay you're going to do a really really hard sprint it takes you longer to recover from you're actually burning more calories because your body is is uh it needs extra time to get back to homeostasis kind of like if we do um 21 15 9 thrusters and bar facing uh bar facing burpees you're going to be pretty out of it and probably pretty sore for the next several days, but be happy about that because you are um, uh, because you're really you're burning calories and you're getting adaptations during that time. Now, the flip side of that is we don't want to do 
thrusters and bar facing burpees and going into that dark place every single day because eventually it's going to run you way too far over a cliff. You're not going to be able to recover. You're not going to be able to train anymore. The fastest way to to get fitter is to increase your power output, right? Increase your work capacity. So power output, the the highest power output we can get is going to be in the shortest, most intense intervals. And so Mm -hmm. we do want to do those, but it takes a lot to recover from those. It's a very high stress on the body, and we don't want to put too much stress on the body that it can't recover from. Because that's when we're getting better is when we're recovering. So we want to be doing things where we're putting out a high power output. So if we're saying, should I do this 10 minute CrossFit workout or should I do an hour of cardio? Well, let's see which one you're putting out more power out at and which one are you going to be able to recover better from? You know, that's, yeah. that's kind of how I look at it. And, uh, and I'll, and I'll say this too here and here it comes, it all comes full circle. If you want to be able to do sprints and you want to be able to do more of them, and do each one of them at a higher intensity, you know, what's the, you know what the baseline for that is? How good your aerobic system is. Mm-hmm. So which one is better? None of them are better. That's why, I, I, to me, CrossFit has been so successful, you know, having this, uh, um, this uh, concurrent type of, uh, of training where you, are, where you are training multiple energy systems all the time is because it gives you that it gives you that variance where you are trying to improve on a lot of different things at the same time and where you're not just you're not putting you know all of your chips on one number yeah here's something that somebody asked me uh a while ago and i kind of want to dig into they said what i want what does my heart rate need to be uh, for the optimal fat burning, what's the optimal heart rate for fat burning? Oh Lord! And I just, I was just shaking my head. I was like, heart rate is not the determinant of, you know, what what you're doing, whether you're doing, whether you're burning fat or anything like that. You know, heart rate is just a uh, effect of what you're actually doing. The most important thing is looking at the work, the power, the work that you're getting done in a certain amount of time. Do you, do you agree with that, Chris? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I could, uh, I could walk, I could walk in here and um, uh, and put a gun to your head, mm-hmm. and your heart rate's gonna get to uh, gonna get to its maximal level. It doesn't mean that you're exercising or or burning <clears throat> fat necessarily. I uniquely have a little bit of experience with this because I've got the heart rate monitor, and some weeks I'm on the the monitor when I'm doing the workout. I noticed a couple of months ago. Because we do vary so much. It just depends on the day when you walk in there, what, what you're going to face. Uh, but you can see your heart rate chart over time. And I had two workouts that were, even the graph the on, on my smartphone looked very different. But I'm getting as mm-hmm. far as the calorie burn, it was almost exactly the same. So one was like a, a heavier running day and we were just doing a lot of moving around. The other, I remember specifically this one because we were working on uh, the positions in the snatch and holding uh, just below the knee, a lot of oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. Very and, taxing. Yeah, and that, but you don't get to that. I think this is another one of those myths is that people feel like they just got to be rolling around about to die or they can barely drive home. Yeah. That's when I really got a good workout. But there's ways to focus on, on movements and things that you're doing where you're going to get that, that calorie burn. So training for weight loss, I think one of the myths we're, we're exposing here is that people believe it has to look one particular way. And you 
usually that's connected to whatever they were exposed to in in fitness when they were younger and they remember oh when I, that's when I was young and I was really fit and I look, if I could just look like that again I need to do these particular things one of the best parts about CrossFit and what it offers though is you don't have to think about any of this mm-hmm. <laughs> you just yeah. have to walk in and yeah. do what somebody says right I think there are a couple of benefits to heart rate and monitoring them one would be if you're doing a workout where the 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 requirement is that you push yourself really hard and and go all out and increase your intensity and you can look at somebody's heart rate and say hey you know what man i i know you might think that you were putting out but look you 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 had more to give on this workout yeah and and then another one would be say hey look we've been going hard for a couple of days we want to really back it off i don't get want you guys pushing really hard and and if you if you can monitor their heart rate and say hey you're probably going a little too hard let's back it down a little bit but using that as your sole measure of whether you are doing the right exercise or doing the whether you're in the fat burning zone or whatever the case may be is just not the the effective way to get in shape and and be fit it is it's just, it's just a slice it's a slice of the pie yeah it's not the whole pie. Yeah, it's just another way to get, yeah. I think, those metrics that just become, as you get deeper into this journey, yeah. they just become a little more fascinating. Just to mention this before we jump off this particular myth, uh, one thing that it did for me is really put some numbers in front of me. You guys were saying you're under-eating, you're under-eating, you're under-eating. And I was like, nah, man, I mean, maybe, I don't know. But then when you look at actually, especially in CrossFit, the, the calories that you're burning when you're training – and you're saying you're coming in here on a 350 calorie day because you've been so busy and then you just burn 1300 you know yeah. doing this but there's a reason why you are broke down right now and you need to start eating so it's just mm-hmm. it's one of those things that we tend to inflate heart rate is one of those things we tend to inflate and we just put too much stock in that and when we're training for weight loss i think we do that we attach to one particular thing and uh, i remember growing up you remember those guys would wear the the suits where they would sweat a lot oh, they were working out they would open up the wrist and the sweat would just oh, pour out like gosh. man look i'm just standing here and but i'm losing weight man yeah. uh so we just we tend to this is how people are they they attach to one thing and that's going to be the silver bullet but if you're if you're in a crossfit box and you and you've got good trainers good trainers are constantly going to be fighting that mentality yeah so um if i am trying to train for weight loss then what are some things that i can focus on that are good do you have like a list of that stuff in your back pocket yeah you know um a good little uh I don't want to call it a call to hack, but that's kind of what it is. Something that you can do. Sometimes the body needs to be trained to utilize fat as a fuel better. And one way is that you can do that is um, maybe incorporate a couple of days a week, um, 30 to 60 minutes um, of uh, fasted cardio. So basically what that means is some uh, eight hours after a meal. So generally the best way to do it is to, uh, you have dinner, let's say you have dinner at eight o'clock, you get up at 6 a.m. Before you do anything, clothes on, shoes on, you're out the door. Just, uh, it can be very, you know, uh, uh, like a higher paced walk or very low intensity run or an easy pace on the bike. Since, um, since your body has uh, has has depleted a lot of its uh, glycogen stores in a fasted state, it only has fat to um, to really burn off of, and you have to put the body in that position where 
it's doing exercise, but it doesn't have uh, the glycogen to feed off to feed from. So it has to just learn to metabolize fat and utilize fat as a fuel a little bit better. Don't do that a CrossFit sense. workout fasted. Don't, yeah. Do not do a high intensity workout fasted. N- You're uh, not completely fasted. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that. I was going to say fasted cardio too. I think that's a good thing, but I would throw throw this in. First off is be consistent. No. Yeah. Get at, a schedule. At the, end, at the end of the day, that is what it's all going to come down to. The most important thing that you do is to be consistent. Pick a schedule, pick a day, pick a time, and put it on your calendar every single week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm going to the gym at this time and I'm going to work out and I'm not going to miss a single day and make it a priority. And no matter what happens, you're going to be there. If something comes up and you have an emergency, well, and you haven't worked out that day, do hop down and do some push ups and squats and sit ups right before bed or something like that. But yep. make sure you get that in um, every single day. Build the habit of being consistent. Then, if you have that habit of being consistent and say, hey, I want to get a little bit of extra work in and you are eating enough so that this doesn't put extra stress on your body because we can only, you know, we can only make progress if we can recover from the stress. Say, hey, I'm eating the right stuff. I'm working out the right amount. I'm getting the, the required amount of rest. Then say, OK, well, I want to start adding in a little bit of fasted cardio, like Chris said, and doing it, you know, start off maybe one day a week. Don't just start off jump in. You know, we don't want to just jump in and do three days a week all of a sudden, you know, maybe do yeah. one day a week and go for a easy bike ride, an easy jog, an easy walk. Not something where you can't carry on a conversation, but that's just going to be supplemental type stuff. You know that, like you said, like something that's going to help a little bit. It's not going to be the bulk of the pie, you know there's the consistency is going to be the key more than anything. Mm -hmm. So when you're saying uh, training for weight loss, this is something I want to pull out for our listeners. Uh, The way that you approach your training is going to affect the way that you're approaching your nutrition. That's why these two things are so closely connected. Uh, But Hunter, what you're pointing out there is that you, if you can just get this idea of discipline injected into your training, it, it it's going to be very difficult for you to approach all the stuff that happens outside the typical crossfit athlete is going to be in the, in the box an hour 20 you know taking the cool down and all that about an hour 20 there are a lot of other hours in the day yep. for you to really sabotage what's going on yeah. so we yep. just can't talk about training for weight loss without talking about that discipline overlap and if you developed a, a, a discipline around your training i'm i wanting to pull this out because it's such a simple practical step you don't have to be headed for the games or a rich froning uh, type of athlete to just show up to the noon class four mm-hmm. days a week. All yep. you have to do is be disciplined and that discipline is going to carry over. Yep. And yeah, discipline and then variance. You need to be doing different stuff. You need to be doing broad time and modal domains. You need to be doing short sprints. You need to be doing intermediate type stuff. You need to be doing longer stuff. You need to be lifting weights. You need to be doing uh, monostructural work. You need to be doing gymnastics and mixing it all up and all different types of things. Um, you don't need to be doing the same thing every time you go in the gym. So one of the myths I think we've been talking about actually for a couple of minutes is that you know what you're doing. <laughs> that, that's the myth. The myth to training for weight loss is that we convince ourselves as just average people. We have specialties in other things, but we convince ourselves that if we'll just read enough 
or follow a plan that we can download as an app that we will know how to train for weight loss. And you guys are completely debunking that myth saying, man, you do, you do not know what you're doing enough to get the results in a way, in a way that you want. So, uh, I'm going to start eating to train correctly. I'm going to train in the correct ways. Uh, what's some other encouragement that you guys could give athletes that are currently inside of a CrossFit box that are desperate to lose weight. That's why they're there. Just some other things. I mean, you call them hacks and you felt a little apologetic about it. I love that stuff because I feel like it's helping me get ahead a little bit faster. What are some other things we can do? Hack number one is talk to your coach if you haven't already. A lot of people just, they'll struggle with stuff and they'll keep it inside maybe because they're embarrassed or they're they're timid or shy or don't want the, they don't want to put the person out, but that's what the coach is there for. They're there to help you and they want to see you succeed. You know, everybody's there for you. So talk to them. If you're frustrated about something, if you don't feel like something's working, talk to them and get some, um, you know, get some clarity on what you might do be doing wrong. But, you know, I would say tracking yourself, you know, having awareness of what you're doing, You know, so many people go through day to day without having any awareness of what they actually did that day. And I could ask you what you had for lunch yesterday and you might not be able to tell me, you know. And so being aware of what you're putting in your body, being aware of how you're feeling, how you're sleeping, being aware of what you're doing when you work out, how often you're coming. That's another thing. A lot of people will say, I've been coming pretty consistently. I can go back and look at your your uh, attendance history and see that you came six times last month. You know, you're not going to make a whole lot of progress that way. You know what I mean? And so being aware of what's going on and, and then, you know, not saying these external factors are the problem. This is all happening because this happened to me or this program isn't working for me or they're not doing anything. No, if if something's not working for you, there's only one person, you know, to look at, look to, and that's yourself. And you got to figure out what am I doing? That's not working. And a lot of times, you can't figure out most of the times you can't figure that on your, out on yourself. You need somebody who knows who's been there, who's helped a lot of other people that can show you and point you say, Hey, you know, you thought you were doing this, but you're really not. You thought you were eating this, but you're really not. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are going to see the title of this uh, podcast and they're going to listen to it and they're going to have a pad and pen out ready to write down sets and reps and time frames And so then they're going to be really disappointed. But, um, I think it really, I think Hunter, you get, you really hit it on the on the head there. If you are if you're if you listen to this podcast and it really just resonated with you that you're somebody who feels like you've gotten off kilter and you need to make some uh, some adjustments, you're uh, you feel like you're in a funk maybe. The uh, best advice I can give you is just is take a step back before you make any decisions and take a long look at you. Where do you want to be? Why do you want to get there? When you get there, what is it? You know, what is it going to look like? How is that going to uh, make you feel? If you are more in tune with that, with where you are and where you're going to go, then we can map out the most efficient way to get there. I love that, man. I love how you're closing this conversation here to say that, uh, of course, when you when people have been involved with CrossFit for a while, and you ask them the question, "Have you lost weight?" Of course, I've lost weight, you know, because I've changed the way that I'm living. What I what I love about CrossFit, though, is that people will start talking about all of these other benefits that have come into their life other than weight loss, and those things mean so much to them. So you guys just have this steady presence inside of Coyote to say, we're going to help you reach that goal, but there's so many other things behind the curtain that you're going to experience that will start driving that weight loss even further, the transformation that people experience inside 
out of our box in particular is just completely fascinating and encouraging and we have you guys to thank for that so for the people who are listening that actually are part of our box i just want to represent them by thanking both of you guys for your commitment to to seeing us succeed uh, especially in this weight loss part that is important to a lot of us you're welcome, Ben. That's nice of you. I so, didn't say sweet this time. Well, I just <laughs> I wanted to say something nice because I feel like we're we're about to bloody each other's noses with this topic that we're about to roll into. So, who came up with this question? I have to say, was it you, Hunter? Chris. Chris came up with this question. Yes. You would, you would, just to yeah. watch people fight. But we are yes. actually going into this dangerous territory, talking about uh, collegiate athletics, the debate that's been going on for years that nobody can solve. Big question: Are you ready? Is should we pay college athletes? Should we pay college athletes? Now, Chase, with your extensive experience inside of collegiate athletics, I'm going to have to ask you just to throttle back a little bit and let <laughs> these other guys speak some before you before you get involved in the conversation. But it's a question that really causes a lot a lot of tempers to flare. And I know people who are li- listening right now, they've already got an opinion. They wish they were here with us. Uh, it's gonna, we're going to have a couple of King's speech kind of moments here where there's just very differing opinions, but both could be correct. Did you like that? That was really good. Thank you very much. So who's going to lead out? Who's going to get the fight started? It's Chris's topic. Let him start. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I am, I am actually right now not for it, not for paying college players. And uh, – for several reasons. One, I don't believe that anything proposed right now will work in the long run. I think it is a extremely slippery slope because you're going to, I mean, a lot of people will uh, will point to, like you were talking about uh, off uh, off mic, uh, we, we were talking about, you know, they, there's a whole corruption thing and they're getting paid anyway, so we might as well bring it out in the open. Like, okay, well, yeah, well, now if you're going to do that, you're going to have to tax it. You're going to have to figure out some kind of pay scale system. Like does, does this kid, he was more highly recruited. So does he get a bigger signing bonus? And does he, does he keep the same salary? Even if he was brought in as a big recruit, he ends up being a bust, but this walk on ended up earning a scholarship. And now he's the starter. Do we have to increase his salary? And, um, the, uh, now up until probably 10 years ago, it was, absolutely highway robbery what i what i believe the uh, the ncaa was doing with these guys and how they uh i mean their their scholarships would limit them to uh meals only monday through friday and on the weekends they're pretty much uh you know left up to uh you know fending for themselves but now now players get stipends they get they get enough money to be able to if they wanted to if they needed to go out to eat they can they get unlimited meals and snacks they have emergency funds set up to where they can uh, if they uh, if there's a death in the family and they need to be able to uh, buy a suit to go to a funeral and have money to get there they have funds set up where they can give the kids that money and um, the other uh, I mean. And uh, these kids, they're they are not they are not starving. That's the the hard thing that uh, that's what really bothers me because I played uh, I played college football, but I also played college football at a very small college. Trust me when I say that these guys are very well taken care of. My when I first got to uh, when I first got to uh, the school I played at, um, 
we uh, we signed 70 freshmen my freshman year and we we got to campus and we had to go we went and got our physical done and then they told us to go to the locker room get your team shirt your team shorts and go to the uh and go to the field for the conditioning test so i go down there open up my locker and i have a 3x shirt and 3x shorts so i go to our equipment manager i'm like yeah, man, I think you put these in the wrong locker because this isn't going to work. And like, well, by the time we got to, that's all we had left. So just got to deal with it. So, wow. Yeah, so, <laughs> how'd, I, you, how'd you keep those shorts on, man? <laughs> I, had to, I had to tuck the top of them into my compression shorts. <laughs> well, good problem solving. So, you're saying that we've got a lot of, because, man, you look at uh, ESPN, the 30 for 30s, and, and you got a lot of these players that have said man i was so dead broke i didn't have time to have a job i was starving to death well, well you're not even allowed to have a job yep. yeah um, right if you're so, an ncaa athlete the, the university is making so much money off the way that i'm performing on national television every weekend so i think there's a lot of people who are starting to understand wait a minute like behind the scenes we're not really treating these guys but a lot of that i can't say a lot you're pointing out that some of that has been corrected and that there are probably people who are not athletes that are on these campuses. Now they're not bringing in as much money, but they're more destitute than the athletes are. And we're not doing anything about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you're saying some of this stuff has been corrected and it's not, it's not quite as dire as we might think as the general public. Yes. All right. So I feel pretty definitively Hunter that you have the absolute, based on the look on your face, you have the absolute opposite opinion here on this. I do. And Chris and I have talked about this before and we, we can, we, completely disagree on it but first off i think the ncaa is a corrupt uh, institution uh, well, i'm every, not i'm not gonna argue that everything the ncaa does is for their own benefit they could care less about the student athlete it's all about making money for them um and these athletes are exploited that's the bottom line these guys are bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars how much money did they make in the national championship game it's insane amount of money that's going straight to the pockets of the people in the ncaa and the schools and the guys are getting meals out of it, you know, then and, and uh, education, which they don't even care about. Um, you look at the top paid football coaches, five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year. Top basketball coaches, same thing, five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year. And the guys that are going out there on the court that people are actually watching play aren't getting paid anything in any other avenue of life in America. You are paid what you bring in. Any other, any other sport, any other job, if you are generating X amount of income, you're rewarded for it by this amount of money. Well, these guys are generating hundreds of million dollars. They're selling their jerseys with their numbers on them, and they're, they're, they used to use their likeness in video games, but they're not getting compensation for that at all. You know, They get room and board and some food. And so I think they're, they're being exploited. I think you go to any other major sports system in the in the world, and the best players are paid more money because they're the most highly sought after guys. You know, you go look at European soccer development teams and stuff like that. And to argue that it's an amateur sport, it's not an amateur sport. They're making hundreds of million dollars off of these off of these players, off of these games, off of these TV contracts. The only the only people who aren't getting uh, the money from that are the ones that are actually out there on the field. So I think they're being exploited. So how do you fight the argument? Because exploitation, man, that's a that's a big claim. And I'm not saying that I disagree with you, but some of the pushback would be, hey, man, this is voluntary. 
I mean, well, nobody's making you do this. They well, are making them do it. They won't let them go to the NFL uh, for three years out of high school. They won't go to them, let them go to the NBA. This is, this is where I really like this part of the argument. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, they, so they, they, they don't have a choice but to play in, in NCA If they want to play in the NFL, you have to play in the NCA. You have to play uh you have to play college basketball for a year you can go overseas but you're you're sacrificing your your chance to be drafted higher in the nba if if you don't play in in ncaa football or basketball well um and and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit back and say that uh that i think the ncaa is doing absolutely everything right i think they do more things wrong than they do right probably a lot more wrong and i'm so i'm definitely not gonna sit back with my arms crossed and say it's perfect the way it is. Just leave it alone. But I would, uh, my argument would be that, um, you know, all they're getting is their education paid for room board and, and meals is like, well, what are they going to get beyond that? You are getting a, uh, you are getting a free education. And I think that the breakdown, like by the time, by the time you look at it, what the school is actually investing into a, uh, into an athlete per player on average it's over a hundred thousand dollars a year when you take in the cost of education, the cost of feeding them, the cost of the equipment they use, the cost of travel it takes to take them to these games. Um, it may not be lucrative what they're getting, but they are getting plenty. And here, and the thing with, uh, you know, they have to go to these schools and all that. You know, they have to go to like. I'm going to use football for an example because I think football is a unique case because I, I I fully believe that you can take a high school kid if he's good enough he can go play in the NBA tomorrow. The NBA also has the the developmental leagues and all that kind of stuff. Football does not. Football may have these semi pro leagues or whatever, but they don't uh they don't really make uh, make any money. But like the, the point is, um, let's just let's say. You've got maybe I can think of two guys that uh, that could have probably gone to the NFL straight out of high school. You know, probably Adrian Peterson, Leonard Fournette. They probably could have made it. Okay, but everybody else, if you were to just open it up and say, okay, um, if you want to go, if you want to put your name in the declare for the draft right out of high school, you have the option to do that. The NFL's not going to take them. They want guys who are. Who are more uh, who are more physically mature that have gotten into a uh, um, a more complicated system of playing, and you can you know you could say well what if uh, what if there was a um, a semi pro league where these guys could go straight out of high school go there get paid a little bit there's one actually starting in California we'll see how it works out maybe it will maybe it won't but where they're going to pay everybody like a flat fee of like fifty thousand dollars a year or something like that. And, um, so, uh, let's say, let's say you go to, let's say you start that, but it's not making any money, so they can't keep it afloat. So they have to shut it down. Well, the NFL should fund it. Why would the NFL fund its own farm league when it has its own farm league for free? It's called college football. Right. Well, my point is saying that it's voluntary and I don't think we need to dive too far into life philosophy because it's going to complicate the argument. Yeah. Uh, I'm just proposing that being a collegiate athlete is voluntary. Being a 
professional athlete is voluntary. There are plenty of other things you can do with your life. Yeah. And if you feel like the system is so corrupt and so backwards and everybody else is going to make money off your athletic ability, you're not going to receive any kickback from that. You're going to beat down your body because the sort of training that has to occur. You can eject from the system. You can do something different with your life. Or you can choose to focus on the th- the benefits that you are getting, and I, I love when they do this, man. I think this sort of this uh, percentage of the population is growing. You have guys that are just tremendously athletic, great athletes, and they're choosing to leverage their education, their yeah. time at the university because they understand. Guys are starting to understand because of the pace of sports today. You know, I just think we're going to see guys are are getting out younger and younger because of how tough it is on your body. They're going to use that time. I'm going to get this education. So over time, I may get uh, more money in in the annual contract with the NFL. But over the course of my life with this education, I'm going to make a lot more money. Yeah. Like, will this uh, will this uh, developmental league be able to sustain itself if it can? awesome you're gonna have a very watered down college football and that will suck but at least there will be at least be some kind of gap that the uh that the kids can utilize where they can get paid and all that i'm all for that but um i i just i just i feel like um empathy you can't make policy off of empathy you can't just throw money at these kids because you feel bad for them because the amount of time they're putting in and how hard they're working a lot of time i mean i think you, uh, a lot of times in life, you have to work really, really hard without getting a whole heck of a lot. It's called internships. Right. You know? and yeah. Dude, there's something, though. There's something so public, and I'm kind of leaning over Hunter's side right now. Uh, there's something so public about looking up at the top and the boxes at these uh, collegiate fo- these college football games, and you see these guys that are in the five thousand dollars suit, and what are they oh, doing? They're oh, just, yeah, they're I just mean, sitting up there making money off these kids that they're forcing into a system. I, I do have a great deal of empathy for these guys that are working hard and they're just producing money for the man, and they got they have very little. I put this in quotes. They have very little to show for it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're not walking out with student loans and all of that, but because uh, the intensity of the sport, they can't pay a lot of attention to their academic progress or the sport teaches them not to by sending people okay. to class for them. Would you have uh, would you have the same empathy on uh, a golfer, a college golfer who doesn't put really any stress on their body? Yeah, the the for me the principle is the same. I'm being used as a tool, and I feel the same way about guys that are that are dri- listening to this driving to the factory right now. They're getting a minimum wage, and the guy that's that you know was born into the family that started the company has got 75 houses across the world, but he doesn't know how to put the dashboard in the vehicle. That that just yeah. drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Like taking advantage of human beings for financial gain. The, th- the reason why I fall on Chris's side of the debate is because I've seen... You mean Hunter's side of the debate? Uh, no, no, or, or, I'm saying your, your side. I don't oh, think okay. throwing money at it is going to fix it. There's something that needs to happen to acknowledge what's going on with these athletes, but I don't know that, that you can get into a financial... Because we see, and look, the NFL has really exposed this, that when you get money involved with the situation, it changes everything. Mm-hmm. And it usually doesn't solve corruption it invites more of it in. I don't really know what to do with that because we're packing out stadiums, uh, especially in the SEC. We're packing out stadiums every weekend. So somebody's making some money, uh, but where where does it go? What do you do with it? I think the NCAA was, and college sports were designed 
you know, 70, 80 years ago when there would be, you know, not a whole lot of people come to the games. There wasn't anything on TV. There wasn't all this lucrative stuff. Well, it's completely changed and the system hadn't changed. With the times, the system needs to change. There's way more money involved. You're, you're, these guys are producing a lot of money. They need to be compensated for it. And that's, that's my opinion. And I, the argument that, well, they don't, they don't have to play football. They can do something else. Well, these guys, that's their specific skill set that they were gifted with. And to say, well, you don't, you don't have to use your skill set to, to make the best of yourself. I don't, I don't think that's a valid argument because anybody else's skill set that they are naturally good at, they can go out and use to make money for themselves. Why can't these guys go out and use that, their specific skill set that they are good at, um, that people will pay, obviously pay thousands of dollars to watch them do that you know they can't make money off of that i just don't think that's right yeah it was part of that's why i said diving into yeah. life philosophy you can get into the, the water gets muddy very quickly i guess what i'm saying is i see both sides of it i just don't know what the solution is because you what was that guy's name i'm just stuck on these 30 for 30s now was it boz is that the Bos- guy? Brian yeah. Boswell. Yeah. yeah. So I think one of the least caring, this is just my worldview, okay? So I'm admitting that. But I think one of the least caring things you could do would be to hand a 19-year-old a $250,000, $350,000 annual salary and expect them to succeed. You're you're going to just wreck their life. They, with- they do it in baseball. They do it in soccer in Europe all the time. They're giving 14-year-olds that much money in Europe. So how's it going? I mean, are, they, are we raising prima donnas? We're raising, raising these wealthy guys they do it in acting. They do it in America. And I mean, yeah, there some of them are going to be mm-hmm. prima donnas, yeah, but some of them are going to succeed. But it, it, you shouldn't say, well, we shouldn't give them this amount of money, this much money, because they can't handle it yet. Like, how how do you get to decide? Who there's fifty year olds who can't handle that much money. You know, you it's not about whether they can handle the money or not. It's about they are generating this amount, this much money. They need to be compensated for it. That's why actors make so much money because people pay. They make billions of dollars off of these movies. You know, they're making billions of dollars off of these uh, football games. They need to be compensated for for the money that they're generating. I think what what I think should happen is I think the NCAA should open the door to allow kids to put their names in the draft right out of high school. And if they like MLB, if they are not drafted, they should be able to go back and play college. Yeah. And, you know, for football players, and that's where the, all of this stems around for me. And I think for most everybody, the first thing you think is college football and then maybe college basketball. But, um, you know, you can go out there, you can see how you do. I think you'll realize really quick, though, that you need that the players need the coaches, the uh, football coaches and the strength coaches and their nutritionists that, that are on staff. They need them just as much as the school needs the player. Yeah, well, what that what would end up happening is they draft these the top guys, and they're not going to pass on drafting the top guys out of high school because they're just they're they're so talented. But they'll probably put them on their practice squad for a couple of years and put them on a just like in baseball, you go to the minor leagues for a few years or whatever, and then when you're ready, you get called up yeah. and, and that, you're making money while you're on the practice squad or whatever. But yeah, you're sacrificing, that, you know, going to play college, and and I think that that's probably the first step that needs to happen. For well, yeah, sure. well, yeah, and but the and the team. The NFL teams are also passing on the opportunity to save money. It goes back to, like I said, why would the NFL want to have a a practice team or a developmental league even when it already has one that it doesn't even have to pay for? Yeah, and I see, what uh, Hunter, what you're coming back to, and I do think it's very intelligent. At the end of the day, it's about how much money 
are am I generating for this particular organization? That's how that's how capitalism works. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's how the rest of everything else works. Snowboarders, Sean, we talked about Sean White in the last episode. That dude had sponsors, and he was making money when he was 12, 12 years old or however old. You know, if you're making money, you should be able to generate. And then college football players, they can't even go and use their own likeness to make money off themselves while they're in the NCAA. Yeah. They I, can't. They can't use the. You know, they have a million Instagram followers or whatever, they can't capitalize on that like some average Joe who's just in college who doesn't play in say football has a, can capitalize on his million Instagram followers. That's just not right, yeah. you know. I mean, and I, I think an, e- an easy fix to that would be if you had some kind of fun or a or a uh, something set aside that you can give to them after they graduate if you wanted to go that route. I think that would be a good compromise if you like if you if like if you if people bought a bunch of your jerseys while you're in college, a percentage of that is put into a fund that when you graduate, here's your check. Yeah, which keeps you in college, you know. Uh, and even if you're injured and you your athletic career stops, you still you're man you're chasing that diploma because mm-hmm. once you get that diploma, you're going to get the payout. Uh, so man, but will you get the payout for that diploma? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's the <laughs> depends, question. Depends on what your diploma's in. It depends. It, yeah. That's the whole college system is getting, getting a whole Water shakedown down. right now. Anyways. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a broken. So we're talking about a problem inside of a bigger problem, which is, you know, why this is so complex. But I, I just want to uh, drop this as we're wrapping up this conversation, because I'm pretty sure uh, the, What's happened is the three, I don't know where Chase, Chase must have gone to the bathroom or something, but um, <laughs> sitting right there in his chair, he just stopped talking. Um, but one thing I want to bring into the space, we're not going to solve this uh, in the next few minutes. And both sides, I think, have some legitimate arguments. That's why they're going to spend a lot of years talking about this and trying to fail forward to get it figured out. Uh, one thing that I'm uh, concerned about, though, just as a, as a consumer, and I've got to admit that I'm just a consumer in this debate. As I'm watching the NFL, um, there's just a different feeling about it than when I'm watching college sports. And I've assigned that as a consumer and that these guys, to some degree, are having to play this sport right now for love of the game. And yep. it seems like, and I don't know if this is true or not, you guys who have, who have played college sports that are sitting here could, could probably debate this, but there's something that changes when these guys uh, get to the uh, – professional level and their contracts and money and a lot of it seems the love of the game seems to disappear at least for the early parts of these guys career yeah i mean it that's a for sure to i think you can definitely see when you watch when you watch college and you compare it to the nfl it's they're they're so incredibly talented it's like watching the difference between between the nba and college uh, basketball it's such a more watered down game and they are so good and a lot Every uh, every tackle they try to make is a business decision. You know, it's like wa- it's like watching a contract negotiation, <laughs> right? Right. So, what's your argument against? Uh, first of all, Hunter, do you agree with that? That there's a difference, and when you're watching that, the athlete just has a little bit different posture and how they're playing the sport. Disagree with that? And would injecting money in the way that you're talking about in, in college sports change that? Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that because I think those guys are playing for. Um, they're playing for their their family and they're putting food on the table, mm-hmm. and those guys are getting beat down when they play uh, NFL. I mean, those are some incredibly large, fast, strong guys, and they hit really hard. 
and they are taking beatings. They're getting guys get paralyzed. They break stuff. I mean, tear ACLs. I mean, the injury list by the end of NFL season is insane. And you can say, yeah, they're, yeah, maybe they're, they're not hitting a guy head on sometimes because he's a lot bigger than them and they're just trying to take him down by the ankles. But I don't agree that they aren't playing with 100% effort because if they don't, somebody else is coming right behind them and is going to take their spot. And the, you know, Chris talked about the difference between the, the ability between college and NFL. It just blows my mind if you watch college football on Saturday and then you put an NFL game on Sunday and in five seconds you're like, man, it's almost like they're playing a completely different sport. Mm-hmm. They are so big and so fast and so talented. They don't drop passes. They don't, they don't, they don't miss, you know, miss a throw. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It really is. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, people always say college guys play with more heart, but I don't, I've seen more football games where college guys laid down after the first quarter because they got behind by 14 points than I, than, than I've ever seen in the NFL. NFL, they don't quit. They, how many fourth quarter comebacks do you see in the NFL? They don't ever quit. They don't lay down. They don't not show up for a game because um, it was a, a, a sorry opponent. I don't, yeah, I don't agree with that at all. Yeah, I would expect you to disagree with me. That's why I threw that question out there. So, uh, well, a fascinating debate. I think it's something that we'll come back around to because what we know is that uh, college sports are in this process right now of trying to make decisions. I would love to come back around when a decision is made one way or the other and have this debate again where we can actually measure it out and not be in theory. Uh, so we get to the point of our episode now where um, I'm not going to forget this week and try to close the episode where we talk about recommends. We've got some pretty cool things we want to throw out there for our listeners. Uh, who's going to launch out in this? Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead. I, I've talked about Tim Ferriss before. I really liked his podcast. I just finished his book, Tools of Titans, and it's, it's just a phenomenal book. Um, it's more like a reference book than it is like a book that you would sit down and read all the way through. But what he's done in the book is he's taking, taking, you know, tons of guys he's had on, on his podcast and he's, and he's breaking down the best advice that he's gotten from these, these people. And they're all really high performers in different areas. He, he divides the books and book in a three section, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so it starts off with healthy and talks about all different types of health and fitness strategies that these people use. Um, then it goes on to wealthy, all different types of wealth and then wise, you know, like, you know, meditation, all that type of stuff. But it was really fascinating to, to look through and see all these different things that these people credit to their success. And they're all, you know, the top performers. And then at the end, he, and the beginning, he kind of breaks down the common denominators of all these people and things that all these people are doing. So I read through it, um, took tons of notes, uh, got, man close to 100 book recommendations um and it was just a really really good book so if you're interested in in learning from people who have had success in all walks of life i would highly recommend uh tools of titans by tim ferris so 100 book recommendations that means that you're set for your reading all the way through like may 5th (laughs) that's right that's right (laughs) my every time i hear a book that i want to read i put it on my amazon wish list and i mean it's just it's gotten ridiculously long now. Like, I don't know if I'll ever, I'll ever get back to zero on it because every time I finish up a book, I've added three more to it. So, well, maybe you could distribute it among you and your siblings and you guys could probably finish it by, I don't know, 2020. (laughs) That's right. right, Uh, I make fun of you because I'm a reader and I've stopped reading as of late because I'm just crossfitting so much, but that's a different uh, podcast episode altogether. Uh, So Chris, here's, here's the part that man is just, 
blowing my mind right now is you took a, a personality test and it is like it's kind oh, of yeah, yeah. it's crossing the wires for you right now. I want to suggest that to the people who are listening. Yeah, I took the um, the uh, Myers Briggs personality test. I actually uh, was talking with um, with Hunter's mom about uh, some uh, some of that kind of stuff. She had brought it up talking about uh, parenting and. Um, and I'd mentioned I'd never taken that test, and she uh, was very, very interested in what I and what the results would be. And to tell you the truth, when uh, when I I read it, and then uh, the first thing, when I first saw it, I was really shocked. Once I started going into, uh, once I started diving into it, one how little I knew about my own personality, how much was kind of brought to light, and then two, just how how accurate it actually was. Yeah, so you, uh, you visit a website. It's really one of the best, 16personalities.com. Yeah. It's a free test. I mean, why would you not take this step? It's completely free. It took me literally six minutes to take it. Yeah, what's actually pretty scary is that how close this stuff can nail your approach to life yeah. in, a, in a test that's that short. But it breaks down. Um, there are basically 16 different personalities that a person can have generally. And uh, you take this quick test, and then it's going to start informing you about your approach to life. It's why we're recommending it now, because it's so closely connected to your fitness journey. There's probably a lot of people who, because they don't know their personality, are self-sabotaging their fitness journey. So we're wanting to to promote this, not that there's any skin in the game. They're not sponsoring this episode of the podcast, but we really believe in knowing this. We've talked about this word a lot, having awareness. And if you're going into uh, a gym and you're trying to accomplish particular goals, there's a good chance that your personality and ways that you've adapted over time are going to stop you from getting the results that you want although mr briggs if you would like to sponsor it if you're listening yeah we're, <laughs> we'd we're de- be open to that yeah we're definitely <laughs> open to it so uh two great recommends for this week for and people to why don't you into. tell everybody what you guys were the uh the campaigner the campaigner, campaigner. all three of you were the campaigner mm-hmm. and yeah. uh i was the advocate and uh, i'm not gonna brag or anything but apparently that was what uh jesus's personality was so uh <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not brag? saying my personality is better than y'all's, but uh, well, <laughs> well, Robert Downey Jr. is a is a campaigner, so Chris for the win. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, we appreciate you guys listening this week. Uh, we always want to wrap up the episode by encouraging you to share this podcast with people that you care about because this is information that is going to help them advance their agenda in life and especially pull in this idea of fitness. We're obviously huge advocates of what fitness can do to your overall approach to life. And one of the best things you can do for the people that you care about is handing them a link or sharing a link with them via text. Point them to the podcast. We're looking to grow our audience because we believe we've got some good things to say.